Well, we're in Leviticus, and we're in these two chapters, verses, uh, chapters 19 and 20. And I want to just read some portions of those chapters with you. And so if you would, if you're able to, uh, stand with me in honor of God as we read his word together. Reading from the English Standard Version, and beginning in verse 1, I'm just going to read some, some portions of uh, these, these verses with you. It says this in verse 1. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to all the congregation of the people of Israel, and say to them, You shall be holy, for I, the Lord your God, am holy. Every one of you shall revere his mother and his father, and you shall keep my Sabbaths. I am the Lord your God. Do not turn to idols or make for yourselves any gods of cast metal. I am the Lord your God. When you offer a sacrifice of peace offerings to the Lord, you shall offer it so that you may be accepted. It shall be eaten the same day you offer it, or on the day after. And anything left over until the third day shall be burned up with fire. If it is eaten at all on the third day, it is tainted. It will not be accepted. And everyone who eats it shall bear his iniquity, because he has profaned what is holy to the Lord. And that person shall be cut off from his people. When you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not reap your field right up to its edge, neither shall you gather the gleanings after your harvest, and you shall not strip your vineyard bare, neither shall you gather the fallen grapes of your vineyard. You shall leave them for the poor and for the sojourner. I am the Lord your God. Then if you turn with me to chapter 20, to the end of, kind of toward the end of chapter 20, 20 verse 22. He's been talking with them about how they're to treat one another, how they're to love each other, and he's been talking about separation. And then we come to verse 22. You shall therefore keep all my statutes and all my rules and do them that the land where I am bringing you to live may not vomit you out. And you shall not walk in the customs of the nation that I am driving out before you, for they did all these things, and therefore I detested them. But I have said to you, you shall inherit their land, and I will give it to you to possess, a land flowing with milk and honey. I am the Lord your God who has separated you from the peoples. You shall therefore separate the clean beast from the unclean and the unclean bird from the clean. You shall not make yourselves detestable by beast or by bird or by anything with which the ground crawls, which I have set apart for you to hold unclean. You... You shall be holy to me, for I, the Lord, am holy and have separated you from the peoples that you should be mine. You may be seated. May God encourage us through his word this morning. And and Father, we do ask that you would help us to understand these verses, to be devoted to you as we pursue holiness for your glory, your name's sake. We pray this in your son Jesus' name. Amen. Here's the question I, I want us to, to begin thinking about this morning. Am I growing in holiness? Am I becoming more holy? That's, that's the question I want you to think about as we begin our time looking at God's word together this morning. Am I, am I growing in holiness? As we've gone through Leviticus, we've seen We've we've seen what it means to be holy. We've seen how important holiness is. We've seen that we cannot be holy in and of ourselves. We need God to to make us holy. We've we've talked about those things. And so the question this morning is, am I growing in holiness? Am I becoming sanctified? Am I becoming more holy? And and my 
guess would be that this is a question that every one of us who loves God has asked of ourselves, although maybe we haven't used those words. Maybe you're in first grade or second grade or or third grade, and there's been a time where you've placed your faith in Jesus, you've you've prayed a prayer to God, you've said, I I believe in you, you've trusted him, and and you're, you're, you're a Christian, and yet you know you don't treat your brother or your sister the way that you ought to. Sometimes maybe you yell things you shouldn't yell or you shove or you do some things and you think, I know this isn't how I'm supposed to act or the way that you talk to your parents isn't the way that you're supposed to talk to your parents and you, you wonder, what does that mean? Or maybe you're a little bit older and the way you, you talk about your friends or the way you speak to your friends, sometimes you, you hear those things, you say, why, why am I doing that? Or the things that you, you struggle with, their sins, you say, why, I don't understand why I still struggle with that sin. Or maybe there are some situations at work and the way that you, you talk about your boss or the way that you respond to your boss or the way that you respond to those situations, you just struggle with that. Or you're married and the way that you respond to your spouse, you think, what, what's my deal? Why do I do that? Why am I not the way that God wants me to be? Why am, I, why am I not, another way to put it, why am I not growing in holiness? If you wonder that, and, and you should at some point, you're not the only one. Over 500 years ago, there was a, a monk named uh, Martin Luther. He would go on to become the kind of the father of the, the Protestant Reformation, but before that he was a monk. And, and he struggled with this question, how can I, a sinner, have enough righteousness to be in right relationship with God? And so he would do all these things. He would, he would uh, sleep in the cold and he would refuse even a, a small blanket. He would go days without eating, kind of this, this fasting and think, okay, maybe, maybe this will help me be found acceptable to God. And in fact, he would start to feel kind of good about himself. He's like, okay, I'm really, I'm sticking this out. I'm, I'm doing some hard things. And then he would start to feel guilty about feeling good about himself. And so he'd feel even worse. And he'd go and he'd confess these sins to his, his friend, his confessor. And, and his, his friend would say, man, Martin Luther, man, you need, to, you need to lighten up. In fact, one time he said, why don't you go commit some real sin? Like go murder your parents and then come back and talk to me, right? Martin Luther struggled with that, this recognition that he, he wasn't right before God and he wanted to do these things that somehow he could do these things and, and we call this legalism, that he could do these things and God would say, okay, you and I are good with one another. And then Martin Luther came to the book of Romans. He read in Romans chapter one he's talk, where, where Paul is talking about the gospel and he, he comes to Verse 17, it says, For in it, for in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. As the scripture says, the righteous shall live by faith. And Luther understood that a person is found acceptable to God not on the basis of their works, but by God's grace through faith in his son, Jesus Christ. Now, maybe this morning you would say, well, yeah, I, I believe that, you know. I've placed my faith in Jesus Christ. I believe I can't work to earn my salvation. But here's, here's what I want to tell you. 
The battle with legalism is a never-ending battle. And some of you, when I ask that question, am I growing in holiness? When I ask you that question, are you growing in holiness? Some of you would still be tempted to think in very legalistic ways as you answer that question. In other words, you'd say, okay, I, I think I'm becoming more holy because last year I read my Bible 120 days and uh, this year I'm already up to 130. And so I, I'm, I'm doing more things. Or last week, I, I averaged about 30 swear words a day. And uh, you know, yesterday, I only swore 15 and a half times. I'm not counting traffic. So um, as a full one. You know, so I think I'm getting better because I'm doing more things. Now, now, what's the problem with that? The problem with that is it's still legalism. As I say, I, I'm growing in holiness. Here's what I'm saying. I'm saying, okay, here's holiness. This is how I'm thinking about it. This is how I'm wrongly thinking about it. I'm saying, here's holiness. And here's sin, and I must be holy because I'm not doing these bad things. I'm, I'm doing some things over here. That's how we wrongly think about holiness. Now, let, let me say some things. Before we get to the text, let me say some things that I think could be life-altering for you, and then we'll kind of unpack them in the text, and hopefully it'll continue to be life-altering. These are, these are radical truths. They're, they're, they're simple truths, but they're, they're radical to apply. So, Again, we sometimes say, okay, here's holiness, and I know that I'm being holy because I'm not doing bad things. Now, why is that a wrong way to think about holiness? Because of this. Who is perfectly holy? God. Yeah. Good job. And God is holy. And how long has God been holy? Forever. Before there was even time, right? So God has been holy before there was sin, right? So before there was even sin, God was holy. In other words, you can't define holiness just in terms of sin because God has been holy long before there was sin. So holiness must mean something else. Sinclair Ferguson just wrote, I don't know when he wrote it, I just started reading it on the, on the plane, on the trip, just read a couple of chapters. Uh, it's called Devoted to God. Sinclair Ferguson, devoted to God, and, and he makes this point. He says, holiness is not about not doing things. It's not just about being, it's not just about being separated from sin, but holiness is devotion. Listen to what he says. This is, this is profound. He says, what then is God's holiness? What do we mean when we say, holy Father, holy Son, holy Spirit, holy Trinity? We mean the perfectly pure devotion of, of each of these persons to the other two. We mean the attribute in the Trinity that corresponds to the ancient words describing marriage, forsaking all others and cleaving only unto thee. What are we talking about when we talk about holiness? We are talking about absolute, permanent, exclusive, pure, irreversible, fully expressed devotion. What is the essence of holiness? It is about devotion to God. And God is perfectly holy because God is perfectly devoted to that which is of ultimate value, and that is his glory and his great name. 
God perfectly understands value and he perfectly understands and is devoted to the greatness of his name. Now, what does that mean for you and for me? It means this. It means holiness in me is also not just about not sinning. It is ultimately about devotion. Sanctification is about increasing my, my love, my devotion for God. It's not about doing more things. It's not about not doing more things. Holiness, devotion is about, holiness is about devoting myself to God and his name. And that is an incredibly encouraging thing for me to think about. Here's the main idea that I want us to think about as we look at these two chapters, as we talk about holiness. People who are growing in holiness, people who are growing in holiness are known by what they do and don't love. People, if I want to ask myself, am I growing in holiness? I I ask myself the question, what do I love or who do I love? And people who are growing in holiness are known by by what or by who they, they love and don't love. And let's kind of unpack that. We're going to talk about three statements. The first statement is this. Those who are growing in holiness love God. Now look at your text. Look at verses 1 through 8 with me. And this is the, this is the foundation. This is, we've already talked about this this morning, but this is, the, this is the foundation. This is what we build everything else in the Christian life upon. This is the foundation of, of all our relationship with God. Those who are growing in holiness love God. Lord spoke to Moses, verse 1, and then verse 2 says, Speak to all the congregation of the people of Israel and say to them, You shall be holy. Now you shall be holy. You shall be devoted. You shall love God. Why? For I, the Lord your God, am holy. This passage begins with a God-centered focus. Be holy because God is holy, because God is dedicated to his own glory. And then he gives some examples that show a concern and passion for God's glory. And notice he continues to, to root these things in himself and his own character. He says, for example, revere your parents. And, and that word revere is, is a word that usually has God as its object. And so your parents are here, this, this, this proxy for God. They're serving in, underneath God's authority. And as you relate to them, it's a sign of your relationship with God. The person who obeys their parents is recognizing their authority underneath God's authority. He's believing God's promise concerning life in the promised land. He says also here, he, he talks about Sabbaths. He says, uh, revere your father and mother, keep my Sabbaths. And then again, look what he roots it in. I am, I'm Yahweh, I'm the Lord your God. Then he says, he gives another example, don't turn to idols, don't make, sac- uh, don't make for yourselves any gods of cast metal. I'm the Lord your God. And then he talks about sacrifices, and we've talked before about sacrifices we've gone through the book of Leviticus. And, and these sacrifices were these things that ultimately pointed in the person of Jesus Christ, and as they respond rightly through the sacrificial system, they're recognizing the value of God and his provision. In other words, all these things are ultimately about love and devotion to God. Love God, be devoted to him. This is the foundation of holiness. And if we do not understand this, we don't understand life itself. God himself is passionate about proclaiming the worth of his name for his glory and for our good. Isaiah 
42.8 is, is a great encapsulation of this. And we see God's dedication to his glory where he says, I am I'm the Lord, I'm Yahweh, that is my name. My glory I give to no other. In other words, I'm absolutely holy because I'm absolutely devoted to that which is of ultimate value, my name. I don't give my praise to carved idols. That's the foundation for holiness. And until we understand this idea of being devoted to God as a foundation for how we live, until we understand that, that foundational truth, we're really going to struggle to make sense of life. When I was uh, younger, sometimes our family would do puzzles. And sometimes I would, I'd get a puzzle and I'd go to my room and, and I'd kind of work on it for a couple weeks. And sometimes I, I, when I would first grab the box, I would... I would dump out the pieces in the box and you, know, you kind of sort the corners and you sort the edges and stuff. And, and I'd, I'd put up the picture. For some people that's cheating. I don't understand you people, but I'm not that bright. So I kind of look at the picture and I look at the pieces. And, and sometimes, sometimes I'd look at the, I'd look at the, the, the picture of the landscape and the, the, the beautiful river and the, the barn there on the, the picture of the box. And I'd look at the puzzle pieces and I'd realize... Um, these are a bunch of puppies. Uh, the, the pieces have gotten mixed up here. Uh, this is the wrong puzzle in the wrong box. And you had to get the right picture to go with the, the puzzle pieces before you could work on it. Some of us are messing with the puzzle pieces of life. And, and they don't quite fit together. Because our understanding of the purpose of life, the aim of life is, is, is off. It's wrong. And until we understand, okay, the purpose of life is God and his glory and love of him, then everything else that happens in life gets, gets oriented around that and it can all come together and make sense. God is dedicated to his glory. This is the foundation for holiness. And if we just committed ourselves to this, this principle of loving him, our lives would change so dramatically. You know, when I came back on, on Tuesday, I was, uh, I was pretty tired and kind of got through the day on Wednesday and Thursday. And, and then I woke up Friday, and I don't know if this, this happens to you sometimes when you come back from a, a long trip, but I just, felt, I just felt really discouraged. I just felt very, very down, kind of overwhelmed with life. And um, D- Denny was, was praying for some things, and he was praying for some of the things that I, I think were... were weighing on, on my soul, just some things that have happened in our, our church, just, just hard things people are going through. And then two or three big things, and then just like a million tiny things, right? Just, just, just things that seem off, you know. And as I woke up Friday morning and was feeling discouraged about some of those things or overwhelmed, I, I felt bad about feeling bad, right? Like I knew I wasn't thinking rightly, and so I, I felt I'm doing something wrong, so I felt bad about that. And then I felt bad about feeling bad. about feeling, You know what I mean? It's just kind of this cycle. And I, I had this, I, I consciously thought this. I said, Daniel, you just need to snap out of it and, and get your act together. Right? Now, now, what is the problem with that? It's legalism, right? Ultimately, that, that hard attitude is I just need to decide to do something different. That, that, that can be the heart of a legalist. I can do these things on my own and, and, and turn this thing around. What does the gospel tell us? The gospel tells us to turn first to God. 
that holiness is about not holiness is not about me snapping out of it. Holiness is about me loving God. In fact, Sinclair Ferguson again says something very, very good, something that was very good for me to read. He says, um, who God is, what God has, has done, what he's doing, what he will do for us, all those things we see in Scripture, those, those provide the foundation for our response of faith and obedience. In other words, as I obey, it doesn't begin with me just deciding to obey. It begins with me thinking about who God is and what he's done and, and who I am in him. And then he says, he says this, sanctification is grounded in our relationship with God through Christ Jesus. And, and he gives a very interesting, makes a very interesting point. If you read Romans chapter 1, and then you read all the way through Romans chapter 11, something kind of interesting takes place. You will read, if you read Romans 1, 1, all the way through Romans chapter 11, you'll read 315 verses. And if you read those 315 verses, guess how many times you will encounter, if you read in the ESV, for example, you will encounter an imperative verb, in other words, an instruction. How many times will you encounter an instruction in those, like a command, in those 315 verses? 150, that'd be about half. 100 instructions, that'd be a third. Here's the interesting thing. You will encounter a command only seven times. Now, what does that mean? Does that mean God doesn't care how we live? Of course not. But what it means is that God knows that it is much more important for us to first understand who he is and who we are in him before he gives us commands and instructions. The foundation for my obedience to God is not myself, it's not my works, It's my love and devotion for him. Those who are growing in holiness, first of all, love God. Now here's the second thing we see beginning in verse 9. Those who are growing in holiness love their neighbors. Now it doesn't begin with loving your neighbors. You don't say, you know what, I want to grow in holiness. I I know I need to to love my neighbor. Come here, neighbor, let me love on you. That's not how holiness works. In fact, what we see in these verses is a strong attack against moralism. You say, Daniel, what is moralism? Isn't, mor- isn't being moral good? Well, yes, we want to do moral things, but, but moralism itself is something that's, that's contrary to the gospel. You say, well, well, how can that be? An immoral person, think about this, an immoral person is a person who says, I, I don't care about what I do, you, you don't have the right, no authority has the right to tell me what I can and can't do. I'm, I'm an immoral person. I don't do moral things. I don't feel like I have to do moral things, at least. The moral person, the, the moralist, says, okay, I'm going to do good, I am going to do good things. The religious moralist says, I am going to do good things, and as I do these good things, God will find me acceptable. That's what the religious moralist says. And so even those of us who've been saved by faith in Jesus Christ can be tempted to say, okay, I was saved by faith in Jesus Christ. Now I want to continue on. I want God to, to like me. And so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do these, these moral things. The gospel, no, no, that's contrary to the gospel because the gospel tells me there is nothing good in and of myself. And I need to place my faith in Jesus Christ. Why? Because Jesus Christ 
lived the perfect life. And now, and died for me and for my sins, and now I can place my faith in him and get the credit for the perfect life that he led. Now, what's happening in these verses, this is so cool, what's happening in verses 9 through 18, what's happening is God is telling us things to do, but he's telling us things to do, and then he's, he's grounding all of them in himself and his character. So look at the text, look at beginning in verse 9, you see these paragraphs, and then at the end of each paragraph, as he gives us his instructions about how to love each other, I'll let summed up in verse 18, love your neighbor as yourself. As he gives these examples of loving your neighbor as yourself, at the end of each paragraph, what does he do? He talks about himself. I am the Lord your God. I'm Yahweh. You come to, to the end of verse 10, he says it. You come to verse 12, I am the Lord. You come to the end of verse 14, I am the Lord. You come to the end of verse 16, I am the Lord. You come to the end of verse 18, I am the Lord. In other words, this isn't some moralistic instruction. It isn't, hey, be nice to each other. This is, hey, imitate me. I'm holy. I am completely devoted to my glory. You do the same as well. Be like me. And for the Christian, we see this fully expressed in the instruction to be like Jesus, through the gospel, we are in Christ, and so we live like Christ. In fact, I think this, this passage, I, wish, I think this passage here is so similar to what we see in Ephesians chapter 4. In Ephesians chapter 4, Paul tells the believers, he says, look, you're not like the Gentiles. You were taught in him. The truth is in Jesus. Now, you, you put off your old self which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires. And you need to be renewed in the spirit of your mind. Put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. The same thing is happening here in Leviticus 19. He's saying, hey, don't, don't be like, you know, put off some of these things. Don't be like these things. Be, be these things to one another. Love each other because I'm God. Be, be like me. For those of us who are the New Testament believers, we see, okay, in Christ, I can do these things. Look, look at some examples here of what it means to love your neighbor and, and the things you don't do and the things you do. Again, each subsection ends with I'm the Lord. So for example, care for the disenfranchised. He says in verse 9, in verse 10, don't reap your fields right to the edge. Don't gather the gleanings after your harvest. Don't strip your vineyard bare. Don't gather the fallen grapes of your vineyard. In other words, as you're harvesting and some things fall to the ground, don't, don't pick up everything. Don't, don't hoard all your resources for yourself. Instead, he says, you shall leave them for the poor, for the needy, for the sojourner. Why? I'm, I'm the Lord. So don't be stingy. Put off stinginess. Instead, proactively meet the needs of others. Here's another example of what loving your neighbor looks like. He says, practice honesty, verses 11 and 12. Don't steal, don't deal falsely, don't lie to each other, put off those things, don't swear by my name falsely, don't deceive, don't defraud one another. Instead, it's not specifically stated, but instead, what are you doing? You're, you're speaking the truth. Again, we see that in Ephesians 4. Another illustration of loving your neighbor is to show compassion. We see this in verses 13 and 14. You show compassion. What does that mean? He says here, you don't oppress your neighbor. You don't rob him. The wages of a hired worker you, you should, not re, should not remain with you all night until morning. Don't curse the deaf. Don't put a stumbling block before the, line, the, the, um, the blind. Those are conducts, that's conduct that you put off. Instead, what do you do? 
possibly you do, you fear God. And who is God? God is the one who's moved by need, who's moved by compassion. For the person who loves God, they love their neighbor, and, and Moses begins to give some examples. God speaking through Moses gives some examples of what this, this love looks like. So what does this mean? It means that if you are a believer, you can't live such an insulated life that you are unaware of the pain and the suffering that is going on around you. If you are a believer and you're part of Bethany Community Church and you could tell me today, hey Daniel, I don't know of any needs that are going on in the church, that is a profound problem. Because the needs that exist in the lives of the saints in this room are, are deep and, and they are, they're substantial. Just, this, just yesterday, I received an email of uh, someone that works with our, our Safe Families Ministry. And talking about, okay, here's some children in need. Here, our Safe Families Ministry is a ministry where we come alongside families who, who need uh, people to take their children for a short period of time, and so we come alongside them, we take their children while they get some, some things uh, kind of organized in their life again, and we kind of try to come alongside and help them. Th- there's need there. We have families who are caring for, for foster kids, who, who, foster kids who are in profound need. We have families who are going through tragedy, through health, through illness, through just all sorts of, of earth-shattering things. And if you can say, hey, I'm, I'm just not aware of those things, man, that... That, that, that's, that's not good. It's not where we need to be. God's people are compassionate. They, they love their neighbors, and there's a proactiveness to this compassion. They, another example, they, they judge righteously. We see this in verses 15 and 16. You don't do injustice. You don't show partiality. In other words, this is kind of interesting too. When he says don't show partiality, <clears throat> there's two types you might be tempted to be partial to the poor. You know, I'm going to stick it to the man. You know, these powerful people, we're going to show them. I'm going to side with the poor, even if, it's not, even if they're not in the right. And then the other temptation is to defer to the great. They're powerful. I want to be, on their, I want to, uh, be in their, their, um, their good graces so that maybe they can do some nice things for me. They're in a position to help me out. And so he says both those things are wrong. He says in righteousness you shall judge your neighbor. Don't go around as a slanderer. You don't stand up against the life of your neighbor. In other words, if your neighbor is in danger, their, their life is in danger, you don't, you're not passive. You don't conspire against them. You care for them. Proactively, you, you practice righteousness. Verses 17 and 18 give another example. This is kind of interesting. A person who is in right relationship with their, their neighbor who's loving them is going to confront lovingly. and give some examples of loving confrontation. You don't harbor bitterness, you don't take vengeance, but you lovingly deal with sin in their life. The sum of all this, of course, is, is love your neighbor. Verse 18, it's a summary of the whole section. Love your neighbor as yourself. And Paul and Jesus would, would affirm this as well. Jesus would talk about um, loving the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind. And he says, and the second greatest commandment is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. Paul in Romans 13 would say, For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet. 
and any other commandment are summed up in this word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Now, this is, this is again where I want to reemphasize what, what is so, so important to glean from this if we're going to be holy. Some of you, even as we're talking about loving God first and then loving neighbors, some, some of you are thinking of these things and thinking, oh, you know what, I, I'm not doing this as I need to. So, for example, you look at this list and you say, boy, I don't, I don't show compassion the way that I need to show compassion. And that's a good thought to have, but here's where legalism is creeping into your life. Because as you think about that, you're saying, I need to do better in that. I need to contact the people who are working with safe families and say, I'm willing to care for a kid. And then I'll be a compassionate person. Then I'll love my neighbor. Then I'll love God. Things will be good. Or you're looking at this list and you're saying, boy, I, I do have a tendency to take vengeance, even though God says vengeance is his. I, I don't lovingly confront. Instead, I'm kind of a bitter person. Or you think about that conversation you have with a coworker. If I kind of get mad at it, I need to do better than that. Now, here's, here's the point of all of this. As we encounter these examples, this is not moralism. This is not, okay, I need to do this better. I need to decide to show more compassion. I need to be kinder. I need to, to uh, help old ladies cross the street and take in stray pets. This, this is not what it's about. And as you and I begin to think that way, we are doing exactly the wrong thing. We are falling into the same trap as the person who thinks you begin the Christian life through good works. What should we do instead? As I come to these verses, and I look at these examples, and I think, boy, I'm not a compassionate person. Man, I am not honest in the way that I need to be. What do I do? I come to God. And I ask myself the question, what is it about God that I don't find lovely? What is it about him that, that causes me not to, be, not to love him and to be devoted to him the way that I need to? What is it about this, this worldly stuff that causes me to love it more than him? God, help me here. God, I want to love you. Please forgive me for my failure to love you as I ought. Show me the, the idols of my heart. I confess these things to you. Father, God, help me. I want to be devoted to you. And as we encounter God and we see his beauty, what happens? We grow in love for him. As I grow in love for him, I love other people. And as I love other people, what do I do? I care for them. I practice honesty. I show compassion. And you say, well, hold on, hold on, Dana. What's the difference? It's, it's the difference between life and death. It's the difference between a true and a false gospel. The false gospel tells me I can do these things on my own. The true gospel draws my attention to these things that I'm failing to do and causes me to look to Jesus Christ and to be devoted to him, to grow in holiness. Here's the last thing I want us to think about. Those who are growing in holiness don't love the world. We love God we love our neighbors, we don't love the world. The world begins to look less and less lovely to us as we grow in holiness. We see that the separation throughout 
the rest of chapter 19, and then you come into cha- to chapter 20, and we continue to see that. And, and God says here as you end the chapter, look, don't be like the people that are being driven out of this land. Instead, you need to be like me. I'm the Lord. I've separated you from the peoples. And he gives examples of how they're to, to physically manifest their separation from the world and says, be holy to me. I, I, I'm the Lord. I'm holy. I've separated you from the peoples that you should be mine. Now, what is a saint? A, a saint is a, a set-apart one, a one who is reserved for devotion to God. What does it mean to be reserved? When I was, this past week, when we were at the, the conference and helping out, the, at lunches we would kind of all, our team and the other people who were there, we'd all kind of eat lunch together and... and um, it was like a flashback to high school. Lunch was probably one of my least favorite times because I never knew where to sit. Um, and I, I, there, there, there's one lunch where three times I went up to a table and I said, hey, is this seat taken? And three times was told, yes, it is. You know, it's reserved for someone, not you, go away. And um, it was good. They, they had meetings that were going on and so I, you know, I felt bad asking, but it's reserved, it's, it's dedicated for, this seat is, is reserved, it's dedicated for a purpose, and you're not it, right? Now, what does it mean to be a saint? It means that we've been reserved for a purpose. And as we think about our relationship to the world, it's not like, okay, here's all these worldly things, and, and the dance, and the drink, and the smoke, whatever that is, I'm not going to do those things, because I'm not like the world, I'm better than the world, that's, that's not how we live the Christian life. We say, okay, um, I am, I am dedicated to God. I'm holy. I'm devoted to him. I'm a saint. I'm a set-apart one. And now all the things that are part of my life are going to be a part of my life because of my devotion to God. And the things that I remove myself from are not done out of, again, some sort of legalistic belief that if I don't do these things, then God will find me acceptable. That No, I, I want to say what is profitable for me in pursuing my ultimate purpose, and that is the glory of God. I'm devoted to that. It is my unswerving, absolute, dedicated purpose to pursue God in his glory. Am I growing in holiness? Am I becoming who God has created me to be in Christ Jesus? The answer to that question is not based upon my works. It's not based upon the, the, the great things that I do. The answer to that question, am I growing in holiness, is based on who I love. Am I loving God? Am I devoted to him? And is that devotion to him, is it manifesting itself in my love for others and my lack of love for things that set themselves up against God? That's the gospel message that gives me hope and joy in my Savior, Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the good news of your son Jesus. We thank you for the gospel. We thank you that Jesus is everything. And we pray that our hearts would be devoted to him fully and completely. Protect us from the legalism that so easily threatens to undermine our pursuit of you. Help us to do good works. But Father, help us to do those good works through your enabling for your glory for your praise. We pray this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen.